Well, amen. If you guys got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's give them a round of applause leading us this morning. I don't know if it was that week off or the Brahms coffee this morning, but John had a little bit more pep in his step, I think, this morning, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 2. I, I will say, uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but be praying for the worship pastor search team. Uh, they began meeting just this past week. They're going to be meeting on Tuesday evenings. Um, the position is open for receiving resumes now. Um, you can see that on our website. Um, there's kind of a little bit of a promo glimpse job description that you might call it that, that the team's working on, the personnel team's looked at. This is not necessarily the one we're voting on. This, so it may evolve or, or change over the course of this, this process, um, but at least gives our candidates who are thinking about submitting a resume an idea of our need and what we're looking for. Um, so you'll see that on our website. You can look at that. Um, you'll also be seeing it probably on social media if you're on there. Um, it'll also be in the Baptist Messenger and the SPC website here in the coming days. But if you know of somebody who would like to submit their resume, um, they can go ahead and do that. It's actually open and live now. Um, but anyways, Ephesians chapter 2, and the, the other night, um, it was Friday night, I believe, we were all sitting at the dinner table at our house, me, Stephanie, the kids, and at our dinner table, there's a little window that you can see the back patio on, and, and Noah is sitting there, and he looks at the back patio through the window, and he's sitting there for a moment just kind of looking, and then he gets up, and he walks out of the room into the other room to the back door that goes out onto the patio. And at this point, we're all just talking. Nobody really knows what Noah's doing. Um, and then he comes back a few minutes later, or a few moments later, and he says, I think I just saw a mouse. Now, you know how I feel about mice, all right? And so the mood in the room completely changed from we're talking about whatever to now my heart falls to the floor, my mind's racing, and I'm going into like battle mode. So that's impossible. I put the poison out. We moved in this house. I, I marked this house. We were good to go. That's impossible. So maybe he didn't see a mouse. Maybe it was a, a squirrel. Uh, which is in the same category, by the way, but it's a little different. Maybe it was a squirrel. Maybe it was a bunny that we have. Maybe it was a leaf. I don't know. But he's like, no, no, I saw a mouse. And he begins to describe to us the ears and the tail. Um, And so I get up and go, and I don't see a thing. And so time moves on, and Noah's convinced he saw it. We're not quite convinced. I'm still holding out hope that he didn't see it. Um, But the kids go to bed, and then later on, I'm talking on the phone, and I'm standing at the back door going out onto the patio, and I'm just talking. It's still daylight at this point, and I'm talking on the phone, and I'm not really paying attention, but then I go to hang up the phone, and immediately I see movement. And immediately I knew Noah was telling the truth. And this is what I saw. I don't know if you can see it here on the screen. What's that? Now, some of y'all think this is cute. This is demonic right here, okay? And I'm this it's daylight out. I'm like, what in the world is this mice doing out? It's gone crazy, and it's mine. It doesn't know what it's doing. And this, it's just this little guy there, and he's just walking around. That's the grill right there and the grill cover, and he's just hanging around the grill cover. So I'm, immediate, I'm not moving. I'm looking at this through the window. I'm at a safe distance. And I'm looking at this through the window, and I'm immediately thinking, what can I do to get rid of this mouse? What can I do to get this thing out of our backyard? And as I'm thinking about this, literally something else happens and it gets a whole lot worse. Out of the corner of my eye over here, I see not one but two other mice. And one of them is a horse 
of a mouse. That right there is what I see. A mother and another child following her. And I'm immediately like freaking out. And this is what I did all weekend is trying to set up traps outside. Somebody gave us traps when we first got here. Thank you, because I use those. And so I'm just like literally going into freak out mode and the whole weekend just trying to think, how can I get rid of these things in our backyard? Because I'm immediately thinking there's got to be 150 now. And they're trying to get into this house and our life is about to be ruined. But just when I thought I had it all under control, just when I thought everything was in order and right and as it should be, there came this nasty beast and her couple children. But I got to thinking, after dealing with all of this this weekend, I got to thinking, you know what's worse than a mouse? There's not many things, but you want to know what's worse than a mouse? Nothing. What's nastier than a mouse? What can infiltrate and infest your life with evil like a mouse? And like mice, it's something that can lead you to believe, man, you have it all under control. You've taken all the precautions. You put everything in place so that you wouldn't have to deal with them. That all is in order and right and good. But then over and over again, it just rears its ugly, nasty, beastly head. It's what the Bible calls the flesh. It's what the Bible calls the flesh. And that's what I want to talk about today. So look with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and this is what we read. Paul writes, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, the the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions or the cravings, the desires of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were, by nature, children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God's, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now you remember we're in the series Live Light. We took a break from it last week, um, but we're in the series Live Light. It's just a message series in Ephesians, and we've gotten pretty heavy and deep these last couple of weeks. We will these next couple of weeks, but I'm telling you, after that, it gets very practical in many ways as we look at how we live this out um, in Christ. But in these opening verses of chapter 2, Paul is describing this dreadful and hopeless existence in which you and I once lived. All of us, we were dead. This is who we were. And we've been looking at this over these last few weeks. We've just been settling in on these verses. Um, But it's not just that we were dead. What Paul is getting at is that we were the cause of our own death. We were dead in our trespasses, in our transgressions and sins. He uses two words here to describe our predicament. In other words, because of our failure to uphold the law, in other words, no matter how many good works we try to do, we could not uphold the the law, and because of our rebellion against the law, 
We were separated from God. We were alienated from him. We were without him. We were dead with no one to blame but ourselves. We got ourselves into this mess. And Paul expounds on this. He explains what that failure, what those trespasses and what those sins, what that rebellion looked like. We were failures and rebels because and when we followed what we've talked about, this counter-trinity. Because and when we followed the Satan, the world, and the flesh, rather than the Holy Trinity. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Satan. We saw that that's a title. He's the accuser. He's the opposer. He's the devil, the evil one. Um, We also looked at the world two weeks ago, and we saw how these things work together, the Satan and the world, how they work together to bring about our demise. But the foundational problem for us is this ugly, nasty, beastly thing known as the flesh. And Paul talks about that here, and just like the word world that he talks about, the word flesh can have multiple meanings. One word with multiple meanings. It can mean the body, literally the physical body. It could mean the self, the entire self as a whole. It can mean like two people, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, coming together and becoming one flesh. It can mean the, the sense of the incarnation, right? The word became flesh, all right? And we have the same thing in our language um, where one word can have multiple meanings. That house is on fire. She is going to fire him. That team is on fire. Depending on the context, it carries a different meaning. And Paul's meaning here is not that the physical body is evil, though there are some people who believe that. Not that the physical body is evil. Like with the physical world, matter and DNA and whatnot is not evil. But what he means is that which is the sinful nature within us, the flesh. We all once lived in the passions of our sinful nature, carrying out the desires or the cravings of that sinful nature. Now this is really hard to define, flesh, sinful nature. What in the world does Paul mean? Well, one person simply defined it as this. The flesh or the sinful nature is a power holding humanity in bondage. It's a power that leads one to sin, to engage in every manner of sin. It's a power that compels us to give in to all those various, and there are very, a variety of them, those various cravings, desires, and passions that come directly from the source known as the flesh. And it's clear from Scripture that this flesh is what defiles us. Remember what Jesus said, it's what's coming out of you that's defiling you. And what Paul is getting at here is that this flesh is what defined us pre-Jesus. Outside of Jesus, it's what defines all unbelievers. And it controlled us. It ruled over us. See, here's the thing. After talking about Satan and the world, it can be easy for us to try and blame the world or to blame the devil. Well, the devil made me do it. Well, the world made me do it. Well, it it was that woman that you gave me. It was her fault. Well, it was that evil snake. It was his fault. It can be easy for us to blame these things. Or, even as some have done, to even blame God. Well, God 
made me this way. But the foundational problem is, and this is what Paul's point is, is that it's our flesh with all of its various cravings and desires that we long for or crave to gratify and to give into. But many of us would hardly admit it. As Tolstoy once said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Jesus said it a little differently, as if we're all obsessed with getting the speck of dust out of each other's eyes. Well, you have a problem, you have a problem, and hey, let me help you with that problem, let me help you with that problem. But so few of us are willing to admit or acknowledge that we have a plank coming out of our own eye. And James, in his letter, he put it a little differently. Verse 14 of chapter 1, he said, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Put yourself into that sentence. You are tempted when you are lured and enticed, not by God, but by your own desire. And then when that desire, when it has conceived, when it joins together with action, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now James, like Paul, acknowledges that it is our own desires that have led us astray, which lead us to sin. And he, like Paul elsewhere, acknowledges the progression that comes with those desires. And there are two great examples of this progression at work that we see James getting at and even Paul alluding to elsewhere. One comes with King David, 2 Samuel chapter 11. You remember it's springtime in this context in 2 Samuel 11. It's the time when the kings go out to war, and David sends everyone else out to war, but he stays back. He stays home. And while he's at home, he's hanging out on the couch, and it's late one afternoon, and it just so happens that he stands up, begins to walk about and fumble about, and he then sees a woman bathing. Now, this is crucial the word choice here, because that word to see is not just, oh, we saw it and then tried to turn away and feeling shame or guilt or something like that. No, it, the word it means to fixate on, to literally set your eyes on, to set your mind on. So what happened is, is that David sets his eyes on her, sets his mind on her, and then something wakes up within him. He is lured and enticed by his own desire. And he sees, man, she's beautiful. I want to bite into that fruit, if you will. And so he then calls for her, and he takes hold of her. What happens is, is that desire joins with action, then comes sin, and then, as we see, comes death. And this progression is as old as time, because another great example is Eve herself. Going back to the very first sin, she saw that the fruit was good and pleasing. She fixated on it. She set her eyes on it. She set her mind on it. She set her heart on it. And something woke up in her and she was enticed and lured by her own desire to be like God, to determine for herself what is right and wrong, to do her truth, to live her truth. And then that desire gave way to action. And when that happened, there came the sin. And then, as we know the story, came death. This progression is the same progression every time you and I sin. Whether we're talking idolatry, adultery, gluttony, 
gossip, slander, hatred, racism, pride, envy, jealousy, slothfulness, greed. Listen, Satan and the world are a problem for us. They can play into this with our demise, but the foundation ultimate problem is within us. Our flesh, this power within us, these various desires that lure and entice us to gratify them, to act on them, to live them. And all of us, this is what Paul is getting at, all of us lived in those desires. The flesh is what defined us pre-Jesus, outside of Jesus. We lived according to the sinful nature. Elsewhere, Paul gives another explanation of what he's also getting at here in Ephesians, and it comes in Romans chapter 8. And this explanation brings to light the same progression that James talked about. Listen to what he said. He said, those who live according to the flesh, which we all did outside of Jesus, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. They set their minds on the fruit. They set their minds on the Bathshebas. They set their minds on the flesh. But... Those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now I want to try and explain, not yet, what Paul and James and these guys are talking about with a non-biblical example. I've already showed you one now that you've seen it, but I want to show you some, question, or some pictures. And my question is, as I show you these pictures, is what do you see? What is your mind set on? All right, so this first picture. What do you see? Some of you see two faces. Others of you see a tree. Right? Which one does your eyes or what are your eyes set on? What is your mind set on? Let's go to this next one. Some of you see two cats. Some of you see a dog. You see it? What are your eyes set on? Let's go to this one. Some of you see a woman. Others of you see two trees coming together. You see it? This is my favorite. Some of you see just a normal guy. Others of you see a nasty rat. I'm going to show you this one. This one's a little harder to see. Some of you see a girl hanging on for dear life, about to fall an amazing distance. But if you look at it a little differently, it depends on what your eyes set on, you might see it this way. Just a woman laying down on a road. What we choose to set our eyes on, on our minds on, creates a picture of reality. It impacts our thoughts, our perceptions, which then impacts our beliefs, our attitudes. And such an impact will then influence behavior. Our actions and reactions, it's a progression. What you set your mind on will dictate behavior. For example, listen to this. 
in her book, Get Out of Your Head, Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts, Jenny Allen shows that research states that 75 to 98 percent of mental, physical, and behavioral illness comes from one's thought life. In other words, what impacts our behavior is our thoughts. What impacts our thoughts is what our minds cling to. What, our, what determines what our minds cling to is either the flesh or the spirit. Or as Paul would say, setting our minds on the things of the flesh or the spirit will bring either life and peace or death. But what we fixate on has the power to direct our lives for better or worse, life or death, peace or misery. This is why Jesus said, your eye is the lamp of your body. So you better not put before your eyes or your hearts, your minds, dark things, evil, wicked things. Why? Because when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. This is why the Bible also says, I will not set before my eyes or set before my mind or my heart anything that is worthless. Because if I do, then my whole mind and my thoughts and my actions will then become dark and wicked. In other words, there will come sin and death, not life and peace. But Paul's point is that this is the tragedy. This is his point that pre-Jesus, outside of Jesus, all of us set our eyes or our minds on what our flesh wanted and desired. We lived according to the flesh. Thus we set our minds on the things of the flesh. Thus came death and misery and despair. We exchanged life for death, light for darkness, for God, for the self. And that's true of all of us. Pre-Jesus, outside of Jesus, we lived according to the passions, the cravings of our flesh. It's what consumed us. It's what defined us. We set our minds on these things, and thus it dictated behavior. Thus it brought sin and death. Think of it like this. This is Allie. Allie is 21 years old, a soccer player for the University of Cincinnati. Great student, great life, the world before her. But then one day, last May 2021, she was swimming at a lake in Ohio her and some others took the boat out, they put the anchor down, and they were swimming about. Then all of a sudden, Allie went under the water, and she never came up. They found her one day later. Now, originally they thought, well, she drowned. But that didn't make sense. She was healthy, she was a great swimmer, there was no drinking or foul play or anything like that. Everything on the outside looked normal. So what in the world happened? They discovered, after the autopsies, that what most likely caused Allie's death was not drowning, but carbon monoxide poisoning from the boat's motor. See, carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless, tasteless gas produced by burning gasoline, wood, or propane. And carbon monoxide poisoning occurs when carbon monoxide builds up in your bloodstream. When you feed on too much carbon monoxide, when you inhale too much of it, what your body does is it replaces the oxygen, the life, 
in your blood cells, the good stuff, the light in your blood with carbon monoxide, the bad stuff, the darkness. And when that happens, it's deadly. My point is that you and I might have looked like everything was well and good on the outside. We took everything into consideration. We did all the precautions. We, we did everything that we possibly could. But the inside of the cup was full of poison and death. We were whitewashed tombs. Because on the inside, we were feeding on the flesh. We set our minds on the flesh. We sought only to gratify the flesh and all of its passions and cravings and desires. And thus came death. This, what Paul is describing, this dreadful, hopeless existence. But there's good news. But God. But God did, can, and will change the narrative for all those in Christ Jesus, where we go from living according to the flesh to living according to the Spirit of God. Now, most of us know the story of Beauty and the Beast. And as the story begins, we are told that once upon a time, in a faraway land, there was a young prince who lived in a shining castle. And although he had everything his heart desired, the, spirit was, or the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. Or as scripture would say, every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Or that his heart was desperately wicked, who could know it? Or as Paul would say, he was simply living in the passions of his flesh. So even though he lived in this shining castle and had everything he ever wanted, he was setting his mind on the forbidden fruit. He was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. His heart and mind set on the flesh, like us all. And as a result, by his own doing, he went from handsome prince to hideous beast. And there came this powerful spell on the entire castle and all who lived there. Lumiere, the maitre d', was turned into a candlestick. Cogsworth, the butler, was turned into a clock. Mrs. Potts, the cook, was turned into a teapot. Her son, Chip, was turned into a teacup. And the only thing that would save the beast in his castle is if he found true love before it was too late. And as the years passed, though, he fell into despair and he lost all hope. For who could ever learn to love a beast? Who could ever love sinners such as you and I? living according to the beast within us. And as time went by, we see that there is one who could so love a beast. And true love transforms the beast. He goes from death to life, from beast to prince. The love restores the castle. It saves the others. And towards the end, we see Chip is standing by his mother, and he says, are they going to live happily ever after, Mama? And Mrs. Potts replies, of course, my dear, of course. You and I were beastly, every one of us, imprisoned and enslaved to the flesh. Doesn't matter our education, background, upbringing, all of us lived according to the flesh. And it's nasty, ugly, wicked, evil, and beastly. 
We had become that which we were never meant to become. And it was all our own doing. We were lured and enticed by our own desire. Seeking to satisfy and gratify those cravings. Yet, but God displayed his love for us. And that while we were sinners, while we were beasts, Christ died for us. And it's by grace that he gave us Jesus. And for all those who repent to believe, he takes us from death into life. He transforms us from beast to prince. He sets our minds no longer on the flesh, but on the spirits. And will we live happily ever after with him? Of course. Of course we will. But listen, one person said, unbelievers are under the domination of their own sinful natures. Their desires, their cravings, they go off in the wrong directions. What is more, people naturally do what the flesh wills or desires, and they entertain thoughts and ideas that reflect these sinful inclinations. Flesh affects a person's body and desires. The sinful nature affects the mind, the will, and the thoughts. There is no escaping the domination of the flesh except in Jesus. In Jesus and in Jesus alone, do you and I leave the dominion of the flesh and enter the dominion of the Spirit. The flesh no longer defines us. The Spirit of God now defines us. So as Paul will let her say, so let us set our minds on the things of God. Even as we read in Philippians, for that is life and peace. So as we go about our days, and as things come across our desks, as things come across our faces, let us set our minds not on the things of the flesh, but on the things of God. After all, Scripture says, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Because that person is the one who trusts in you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I just want to ask you this question. What is your mind set on? What is your heart set on? For some of us, we're discontented. We're battling all sorts of anxiety and depression. We lack this peace. Is it because our hearts and our minds are not set on God, but on our flesh? What we set our minds on will dictate behavior. It'll bring either life and peace or death, depending on whether our hearts and minds are set on the spirit or the flesh. For some of us, we need to turn our eyes back to Jesus. And fixate on him. We no longer are defined by the flesh. We no longer are under the dominion of the flesh. We are now under the control and the power, thankfully, of the Holy Spirit of God. So let us set our hearts and our minds on the Spirit. For that is life and peace. Not on the flesh, for that is death. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for your words. 
Lord, we understand, we believe that all of us have sinned. All of us have lived according to the flesh. All of us at one point in time outside of Jesus, we were defined by the flesh, seeking only to gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, we were enticed and lured by our own desire and it gave way to action. It brought sin, which led to death and despair. But you sent Jesus, who knew no sin, to become our sin. And yet while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And by grace we have been saved. We thank you for your great love, your mercy, which changes the narrative. We're no longer defined now by our flesh, but we are defined now by your spirit. So Lord, help us every single day to set our minds on the things of you. For that is life and peace. Help us to turn our eyes and our hearts and our minds back to Jesus. Lord, if we are fixated on that fruit, help us to turn from it. If we're consuming our hearts and our minds with things that are not of you, Lord, help us to turn from it. Help us to set our minds on the Spirit. In Christ's name I pray. I'm going to ask that you stand with us during this time of invitation. If you want to come pray down here, you can. If you want to come talk to us about anything, salvation, baptism, church membership, you just have a prayer request. And come down. I'll be down here and would love to talk with you during this time of invitation.